So here's, here's the deal. Um, since you've got your notes already filled in, we're just going to have this beautiful background image tonight that uh, you'll be able to enjoy and reflect on the, the great Christmas message. You know what's interesting about this? Um, it looks so peaceful. Uh, it looks so beautiful, but it was a messy situation. Sunday, uh, for those of you that were here, Christmas is messy. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on that uh, you would say, you know, this, this wasn't a pretty picture. And tonight we're going to kind of continue in that Christmas Eve, my Christmas, yes. And that's, uh, that's the message for each one of us. The characters that were involved in the Christmas story, they had an opportunity to say yes or no to the plan that God had for them. Every single one of us tonight in this room, we have that same opportunity. We can say yes to Christ or we can say no to him. And um, Mary had an interruption from Gabriel the angel. Man, God likes to interrupt your life. Have you noticed? He loves to do it. We think we get into this role, this routine spiritually, and God just loves to mess it up to keep us on our toes spiritually. There's a woman, Gladys Allward, who she was born on February 24th, 1902 in London. She had an opportunity to say yes or no to God as well. What's her story? Well, she came from a family that was hardworking. They were honest people. They were faithful in attending church. It happened one Sunday. Gladys was at church. The pastor was talking about missionaries to the nation of China. After hearing that story and that challenge about the need for missionaries to China, Gladys, as a young girl, was challenged. She sensed that God was challenging her. Gladys, would you be willing to go to China as a missionary? Yes or no? Well, Gladys, that's somebody's answer. Gladys uh, said yes to God, and um, from then on, she started dreaming about that very day when she would land in China and serve the people there. At 14 years old, Gladys had to quit school and start working, started saving money. Twelve years passed, so now she's 26 years old, and that call upon her life still remained strong. So she applied to the China Inland Mission, but she was turned down. You really don't have the capacity to learn a difficult language like Chinese, the principal told her as kindly as he could. We prefer candidates who are younger and more able to adapt. Now, coming off of that response, it would have been easy for Gladys, like many of us, to say, you know what, there must be not it must not be God's will for me to go to China. Even though as a young girl, I felt like God was challenging me. And I told him, yes, this doesn't make sense. So instead of being discouraged, Gladys continued working as a servant in a famous military officer's home 
Man, he had a huge library in his home. And Gladys was attracted to all those books. And so she worked hard, worked weekends, worked late at night to save every penny. She used very little money for herself because she was saving to take a train from London all the way to China. It would take her over 21 days to get there. And the reason why she chose the train, because it was half the cost instead of going by boat, which it would have got her there faster, and of course it was safer. Well, while she was working, Sir Francis told her about a letter that he had received from Jenny Lawson. She was an elderly widow in her 70s, working by herself in China. And she was looking for help because of her age for someone to come along and assist her. Well, Gladys, man, when when Sir Francis told her about this letter, she read it. She started writing back uh, to Mrs. Lawson saying, man, I would like to come. And so they started corresponding back and forth. And Gladys thought, man, this, this is it. This is my opportunity. So on October 15, 1932, Gladys set off on that long train to follow the calling to which she said yes many years earlier. And she packed her suitcase, and because she didn't have money to buy food on the train, she filled that suitcase with corned beef, baked beans, fish, I would say probably sardines, wouldn't you? In the can? I would hope so. Crackers, hard-boiled eggs, and some other treats as well. Well, along that journey, Gladys felt very alone. But there was a, an awareness of God's peace within her, knowing that she was doing exactly what God wanted her to do. She arrived in China November 8, 1932, 24 days after she had left London, took another month on an overland trip to get to Yan Cheng, where she met the widowed Jenny Lawson. And man, they had a celebration when they connected, man. Jenny had been waiting for help, and here comes Gladys. Here she is, reaching out to serve the Chinese people. Over time, Gladys became fluent in Chinese, learned to work with Lawson, and uh, after a short time, Um, Jenny passed away. So now Gladys was working by herself. It was written that after 2,000 years, the gospel had finally come to these mountain villages, and it was she, Gladys Allward, a tiny woman, delivering it in a sing-songy mountain dialect of Chinese. And over the years, little groups of believers would gather in these little villages. They began to worship the Lord together fruit of Gladys's ministry. Gladys had been in China for 17 years, nonstop. Then had come back home to visit her family, friends. So finally, her friends convinced her, hey, Gladys, you are worn out physically. You need to get back home again and rest and see your family. So in 1949, Gladys made her way back, and she was interviewed by Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, her husband Jim, had been martyred uh, by the Aka Indians. So Elizabeth was a widow. And she met Gladys, and they had a conversation. And Elizabeth put it this way. She told me how she had worked happily for seven years in China alone when a missionary couple came along to work nearby. 
She talked to the Lord about it. She was a no-nonsense woman and very direct and straightforward. And she asked God to call a man from England, send him straight out to China, straight to where she was. I can't forget the next line, Elizabeth said, with a look of even deeper intensity. She shook her little bony finger in my face and said, Elizabeth, I believe God answers prayer. He called him. And here there was a very brief pause and an intense whisper which carried more power than her loudest voice. Gladys said, he called him, but he never came. In an interview during the years later, Gladys expressed her surprise about God calling men and women to China. And because she had educational limitations and God had called her, she confided to her friends, I wasn't God's first choice for what I have done in China. There was somebody else. I don't know who it was, but there was God's first choice. And I don't know what happened. Perhaps they died. Perhaps they weren't willing. And God looked down and he saw Gladys Allward and I said yes. What frustrated Gladys was she knew God had called others to China, but they said no. She said yes. God has spoken. God is speaking today. And you and I have opportunities to say yes. May not be to China, but there are There is a purpose for your life on this planet, specifically for you. You can say yes or you can say no. It's pretty simple. And so in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 26, we're going to read a few verses there as we jump in and see the example that Mary gave us about the yes and the no in her life. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So for those of you last Sunday, the genealogy, Joseph was in the family tree going back to King David. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. That's good news, isn't it? I mean, we could stop there and you guys, you know, hey, all of us would say, hey, the Lord is with us. That's good. That's good to know. That'll carry me on for the next decade, right? Yeah. Well, we'll we'll hit the pause button and pick it up in a moment. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this Christmas season. Christmas Eve, Lord, we're reminded of the great birth of Christ and... uh, as we isolate this story with Mary and Gabriel, the angel, the decision that was placed in front of Mary, she could have said yes and she could have said no. And Lord, we see that she chose to volunteer as a servant to whatever plan you had for her. And Lord, uh, it was a tough decision. And there's tough decisions in this room tonight that have to be made as well. So easy to sit back and and just kind of cruise through the Christmas season without taking any responsibility for our personal lives with you. But Lord, tonight, in the quietness of this moment, may we be honest with you. May we allow you to speak to us. And Lord, ultimately, may we say yes to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, God knows where I live. That's good to know, too. <laughs> I, man, I, I'm, he's not up in heaven with a GPS, you know. He's freaking out, you know, talking to his angels and saying, can you find out where this dude or this lady live? You know, I want to I wanna contact them. He knows exactly where you live. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Zechariah was a high priest, and they were old, man. They were elderly, and they were promised a son, John the Baptist, to, to be the forerunner to Jesus. So this is Elizabeth. She's pregnant as an old woman. That's a miracle. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, and she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Here it is, Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. You need to know that. I need to know that. There is nothing in all of creation that's hidden from God. God sees everything. He knows everything. God knows where you live. Just the other day, man, I was I was looking up an address and I uh, and I I dialed into the satellite, which is pretty cool, isn't it? And then you blow it up, whoo, the satellite brings it down, and, and you get to see this place that you're looking for firsthand. It kind of reminds me a little bit how God operates, you know? I mean, God doesn't need a satellite and He doesn't need a GPS, but He knows exactly your, where you live. And he knows exactly what you're going through. And so that is great news tonight. Nazareth, what's this all about? It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Nazareth did not have a good reputation, man. It was a, it was a small village. You had the Roman army coming through. You had merchants coming through. Those lifestyles kind of bled out into the village, man. So there was, there was corruption, and there was a lot of immorality going on. Now here's the deal. Who's living in Nazareth? It's Mary. She's a young teenager. And you could say, hey, Mary, are you being influenced by these Roman soldiers and by these corrupt merchants that are floating through your little village? No, 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 no. No. There's something about Mary that got God's attention, that she was able to live in a corrupt environment and live it strong for God. And that's great news, because where you work, the school you go to, it might be an ungodly environment, but Mary proved that you can live a godly life in an ungodly environment. That's encouraging. She lived in Nazareth. And man, Nazareth, you think, you know, well, because Mary and Joseph ultimately lived there, uh, it had to be a sweet place. No, it wasn't. It was not. It wasn't a place where you would dial up and say, when I have a two-week vacation, I'm going to go to Nazareth. You don't want to do that. And people didn't do that. Um, Nazareth was 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And um, Nathaniel, (laughs) when he heard about... When he heard about Nazareth in John 1.46, he said, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Why did he say that? Because there was a reputation. 
The word on the street was Nazareth was corrupt. It wasn't a fun place to go through. Man, if you, if you were on a, taking a family trip, you would roll the windows up, you would lock your doors, and you would cruise through Nazareth without stopping. That's what you would do. See? And Mary's living there. God knows. God knows where you live. He knows the environment that you're living in and um, who's showing up. Can you imagine? So here it is, up in heaven, God sends Gabriel. Gabriel, 500 years earlier, had talked to Daniel. So think about that. God sends Gabriel on a mission to Daniel during the Babylonian captivity. And then he sends Gabriel to Zechariah in the temple to tell him that he's going to have a baby. And, of course, Zechariah didn't believe him. That's understandable, isn't it? I think so. And then God sends Gabriel to Mary in Nazareth. So each time Gabriel shows up, there's some important messages going on. God knows where you live. Number two, God is with me. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Gabriel shows up at her house. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. After some last-minute shopping with her grandchildren, his grandmother rushed her two grandchildren to the car. Five-year-old Jason yells out from the back seat, Grandma Kylie has something in her pocket. He reached in and pulled out a new plastic necklace. Even though Grandma had been shopping all day with her two grandkids, she knew it was important for Kylie to put that item back where she found it in the store. And they did just that. From there, they went to a grocery store, put some stuff in the cart, went up to the checkout clerk. The checkout clerk saw these two kids, and she says, Have you kids been good so Santa will come? And then Jason piped up, I've been very good, but my sister just robbed a store. How would you feel if you were Kylie? Well, the spot the spotlight gets put on you. <laughs> Isn't that how it is in life sometimes, man? You're you're kind of put in a in a rough spot where all the attention is on you. That's exactly what happened to Mary. She's just minding her own business, and all of a sudden the spotlight comes on her as Gabriel has this conversation with her. Gabriel's come to Mary, not a prophet, not a priest, simply a young woman who's planning her wedding. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Favored woman simply means she's specially graced. She's experiencing the grace of God. She's favored because she would be a special recipient of God's grace. She would need God's grace, by the way, for about what she would have to experience and for what she was about to say yes to. The Lord is with you. That's great news. And basically, Gabe is saying, Rejoice, you are specially graced. The Lord is with you to help you fulfill this privilege and responsibility that is bigger than you. That's why we need God's grace. We say yes to Him. It's bigger than us. And that's why we have to depend on Him. Jim Steen was explaining to his four-year-old son Harrison how much Jesus loved him, and Jim was having this conversation, and 
He wanted to see if Harrison knew where Jesus lived, and he made the assumption that Harrison would say in his heart or maybe in heaven. But instead, Harrison thought about it, and he says he lives in the basement because that's where we store our nativity scene. So where is, where is Jesus in your life? Have you stowed him away? Have you stiff-armed him? Has God approached you? I'm about an assignment in your life and for your life. And you've just kind of tucked him away in a basement somewhere. Hopefully not. Mary, Mary stayed with Gabriel in this conversation. It's getting interesting. And Mary is listening and she's thinking. Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Very similar to what Hebrews 13.5 says, Jesus is saying, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. We need to hear that in this time in our life. God will never abandon us. He will never fail us. We sure need to remind ourselves of that. Number three, God can confuse me. I don't, have you ever been confused by God? I have. Sometimes we think we've got God all figured out. You know, but God can confuse you, and it's okay to be confused because guess what? God is bigger than you, and you're not God, and neither am I. God has the freedom to confuse us. We see in verse 29, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now notice, Mary, when when Gabriel shows up at at her house, she doesn't say, how wonderful, I have an angel speaking to me. I must be famous, you know? No, that's not what she said. It says Mary was confused and disturbed. Confused and disturbed, what's that about? She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what kind of greeting that was that Gabriel had given to her. Now, it says Mary tried to think. What's that about? In the Greek, it means to make an audit. It's an accounting word. It's, it's, it means to add things up. It means to weigh, to ponder. She doesn't immediately accept the message from Gabriel, but instead she's saying, hey, how can this be? This doesn't make sense to me. She's confused, and it's normal. But once again, Mary does not tell Gabriel to go take a hike because she doesn't understand what's going on. She's confused, and she's disturbed. No, she's sticking with it, which leads to number four. God says, no fear. Verse 38, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. Mary could have very easily said, well, it's about time somebody noticed my godly lifestyle and singled me out. You know, there's people like that. They pat themselves on the back. They think they've arrived spiritually, and they put it on cruise control. And it happens, for example, young people when they're at summer camp and they put their faith in Christ and they have those special moments with the Lord as the Lord speaks to them and challenges them and He pours His love into them. And they come back home again, you know, and they're on this spiritual high. But after that, there's no growth taking place. They figure they've arrived, you know. They've, they've had it. They've experienced all that God has for them. And so they live the rest of their lives on cruise control. 
and they wonder why their spiritual life is so boring. Well, that's not the plan that God has, you know. He wants to keep pushing the envelope where you and I continue to grow and mature in our walk with Him. And that keeps it exciting. So God says to Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And what's cool about this is Mary was, we see, we can pull back the curtain a little bit later in this chapter that Mary was very surprised by this visit from Gabriel. In verses 46 and 49, Mary has this worship song, basically, this psalm of praise to God. It says, oh, 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 how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. That is so cool. She says, Lord, I am so grateful for what you've done in my life, and I praise you. I praise you. She takes her eyes off herself, and she puts them on God. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. You know what? Fear, what's going on here? Don't be afraid, Mary. God recognizes when we are afraid, and it's normal to be afraid when God speaks to us about something in our life because something's about to change. Gladys Allward was afraid as well. Last Sunday, after the gathering, I had a conversation with a couple of people, and we were talking about, is it good to be afraid? And I said, because I told them, I'm afraid. I'm afraid every Sunday morning when I have to get up in front of people to talk. Because as a kid and as a, as a teenager and as a young adult, I was petrified of getting up in front of people and speaking. And because of that, and I, could, I can identify with Mary right here because I could say yes and I could say no. And for a season in my life, I said no to God because I let fear paralyze me. And so finally I, I hit the wall where I became so tired of making excuses why I couldn't say yes to God. I kept saying no to God, no to God, no to God for a variety of reasons. Fear was one of the big ones. And finally, I said yes to God, and I said, if I fail, I know that you'll be there to pick me up. And, and the image that I have literally every Sunday is I'm on, a, I'm on a cliff, and I'm jumping off, and I'm allowing the Lord to catch me. That, that's the image that I have. And so we had that conversation with these dudes because this other person was speaking in a prison. And he said, hey, I heard you say that you're afraid. It's good to be afraid. And I said, it's good to be afraid, not so that it paralyzes you. It's good to be afraid to realize you can't do this on your own ability and your own strength, and you are relying on the help of the Lord. That's the difference maker. Fear can paralyze you. It can cripple you. 
That's exactly what the enemy wants to do in your life. You'll look back decades and say, man, look at my life. I could have done this for God, but I let fear paralyze me. No, 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 no. Let fear motivate you as you pour your life into God. That's exactly what Mary was dealing with right here. Mary, I understand you're afraid, but you don't have to let fear paralyze you. Take that fear and give it back to God and let him use that for fuel so that you can say yes to him. So, God says, no fear. No fear. Number five, God's purpose for me. Verse 31, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. So here it is. Mary's walking through this process, and God is saying, hey, you're blessed. You're you're favored by God. Okay, that's cool. What what are you going to do, God? Well, now... God is giving this message through Gabriel on what the assignment's going to be for for Mary. Just like God communicates to you, not all at once, little by little, the curtain's pulled back, and as you walk in obedience, the next curtain is open for you to walk through. God's plan and purpose for your life isn't exposed all at one time. It's step by step, walking in obedience, that next curtain opens up. Isn't that cool? And that's exactly in this conversation with Mary. Mary's walking through the process. And quite honestly, it's it's bigger than she is. And so now, Gabriel's putting it on the table. The purpose. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now remember, Mary doesn't have a children's Bible, nor a... uh, a New Living Translation youth Bible, you know, where she could read about Mary from times past. That Mary was a virgin and she became pregnant with baby Jesus. She didn't have that opportunity. She is living through it live. He will be very great and, you, and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. God uses ordinary people. Remember, we're going back to Nazareth. What good could come out of Nazareth? Could have come out of Rome. Could have come out of Jerusalem. Could have come out of Athens. Those were the the capitals of that known day. Instead, it's this little village of Nazareth. God's looking for willing hearts being available to him. For centuries, Jewish women were hoping that they would be the one chosen to carry the Messiah. And with God's favor, Mary's life will be turned upside down if, in fact, she says yes to this opportunity that God's given to her. Think about it. When we think we're going to say yes to God, my life is going to be perfect. I'll never have another problem in my life. I want to tell you something. Mary's life was turned upside down. She was going to be married to Joseph. And they were going to, the son was going to set and they lived happily ever after. You know, a lot of us have that mindset on how life should be. It's, it doesn't happen that way. With God's favor, Mary's life was going to be turned inside out if she chose to say yes. The favor of God comes with a price tag. Listen to this now. You must be willing to look like a fool because the Bible is loaded 
with people that looked foolish. For example, how about Noah when he was building the ark? Do you think he looked foolish? I think so. The people came around, they laughed at him, and he said, what's this, a boat for what? Water? What's water? What's rain? He looked foolish. Did it rain? Yes, it did. And, and Noah was spared. Moses in the Red Sea. Hey, Moses, you're bringing the people of Israel up to the Red Sea. How are you going to get across? You're going to build a boat? No, God's going to open it up. Boom, an open path. Looks pretty foolish. You got the Egyptian army coming behind him. Did God get Moses and the people across? He looked foolish, but he obeyed. How about the Israelites around the, cities of, the city of Jericho, marching around a city without any weapons? That's pretty foolish. On the seventh day, the seventh time around, boom, the walls came down. They looked foolish, but God answered. David in a slingshot. David goes up against a giant with a slingshot. Foolish, yes or no? Looks pretty foolish to the, to the natural man. Did David beat Goliath? Yes, he did. Jesus hanging on a cross looks pretty foolish. Looks like he's lost the battle. He went into the grave. He came out three days later. He won. Looked foolish on the cross. Friends, we need to look foolish. May look foolish to the world, but I'm telling you, God uses those things that look foolish to bring honor to his great name. Number six, God's fine with my questions. Look at verse 34. Mary asked the question, how can this happen? I am a virgin. A pregnant virgin. Think about that. It's an oxymoron. A pregnant virgin. In other words, with all due respect, Mr. Gabriel, how can this happen? You can understand the questions. It's okay to, God, to ask God questions when life doesn't make sense, when life throws stuff at you. When it seems like God's abandoning you, you can ask God questions. He's big enough to handle it. For example, how can I live a godly life in this culture? That's a good question to ask God. Or how can I, as a single person, remain sexually pure and wait for God to bring me the right person at the right time? Or how, as a married person, remain faithful to my spouse? How can I be attentive to my kids? How can I be honest at work? How can I be uncompromised in my principles? How can I survive this crisis I'm experiencing right now? We can bring these questions to God, and he's big enough to be able to handle it. God's fine with my questions, and he was fine with Mary's. Number seven, God's power displayed. Verse 35 this is, this is the power that is available for you and for me and when we put our faith in Christ. And God gives you and I an assignment. It's not in our ability. It's God's power through us. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Oh, yeah. That's right. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and, and is now in her sixth month. Gabriel has an answer for Mary. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
And it's the power of the Most High that will overshadow you. That's how it's going to happen, Mary. God's Son will be born because of Mary saying yes. Isaiah 7.14, this is probably what was going through Mary's mind at the time. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's power. We need it. We need to depend on it. God's power helped Mary say yes to this responsibility that God was offering to her. And that's number eight. God helps me to say yes. He helps me to agree. Verse 38, 37, 38, for the word of God will never fail, for nothing is impossible with God. Here it is. Mary responded, yes. Boom. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then Gabriel took off. Why did he take off? Because he got a yes. <laughs> he got a yes. He got a thumbs up from Mary. It's, it's like Mary said, it's a done deal, Lord. You tell me where and when, boom. She didn't have a little debate with Gabriel. You know, give me some more information. No, no, no. She, she says, I am the Lord's servant. This is cool. Because that term servant in the Greek, it's a term that Mary used. When, he said, when she said yes to Gabriel, it describes herself speaking as a voluntary slave, not a person who's been enslaved against her will. It's, a, it's awesome. This is a person who goes to another and says, I want to serve you. I don't care if you pay me. I don't care how hard you work me. I don't care what you tell me to do. I want to become your slave because I am devoted to you. Isn't that cool? Mary did not say yes because... God was forcing her. He he was going to put her in chains and he was going to beat her. No, 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 no. It was a voluntary. I am the Lord's servant. I am a slave to God. Man, so many times in our lives we want God's full plan on the table before we'll even consider it, right? That wasn't Mary's case. That wasn't hers. Years ago at a Christian conference, they were talking about turning your lives over to Christ and doing His will and not our own. Two questions were submitted to the congregants. The first one was, are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? The second question was, are you willing to trust God in anything He sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? And if you can't answer the two questions in affirmative, you may believe in Jesus in some general way, but you have never said to him, I am the Lord's servant. That's what Mary said. I am the Lord's servant. He's master. I'm a servant. I'll do whatever he has to say. And so that's the incredible thing. God desires for you and I in this world Just like he was looking at Mary, Mary, will you carry my son? He's saying to you and I, will you carry my son into the environments where I have placed you? You are a Christ carrier. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. I like 2 Corinthians 5, 18. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 
For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Think about it. Just as Mary said yes to Gabriel, she will carry the Christ. You and I have that same opportunity. Tonight, Christmas Eve 2019, we can be a Christ carrier. Romans 8, 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Isn't that great? And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So, Lord, we're not carrying you in our own strength or ability. It's your power. It's your strength. It's your spirit that you've deposited in us so that we can walk and model the character of Almighty God wherever we go. So the question is, will you carry Christ into your environment and model that character in front of those people that God has placed all around you? You wouldn't think that John Wilkes Booth had anything to do with Christmas, but in a strange way he did. In April 1865, the Civil War, which tore America apart, was coming to an end. Motivated by anger and despair, John Wilkes Booth decided to take matters into his own hands, and he entered into the box at Forest Theater where Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln were watching the play called Our American Cousin. Booth pulled the trigger on his gun. The bullet went into Abraham Lincoln's head. A few hours later, he was dead. The news deeply troubled a young pastor in Philadelphia named Philip Brooks. And when President Lincoln's body lay in the state of Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Brooks went to pay his respects, and later he preached a sermon on Abraham Lincoln's legacy to his congregation. A few months later, the church sent Brooks to Israel, the Holy Land. They felt like he needed to get away. Their itinerary included a horseback ride from Jerusalem to Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. Back then, it was a small village. It was kind of out of the way. By nightfall, Brooks was in the field, according to tradition, where the shepherds heard the angelic announcement about the birth of Christ. Then he attended a Christmas Eve service at the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. Something about the beauty, the simplicity of that visit stayed with Philip Brooks when he returned back to America. And three years later, he wrote a Christmas poem for the children's service at his church in Philadelphia. He gave it to Louis Redner, the church organist, who composed the music in time for the children to sing it at their service. It became a favorite Christmas carol when it was published in 1874. The first verse gives us a poetic picture of Bethlehem as Philip Brooks saw it. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met 
in thee tonight. Gladys Allward said yes to God, to the call that God had on her life. Mary said yes to God to carry Christ. And tonight you and I had that same opportunity as we commit in this silent night in this room. Philip Brooks, in the quietness of his trip to Bethlehem, he was able to reflect upon that great gift that God sent Jesus to this planet to make a difference in your life and my life. And so as these candles are coming down the aisles and we'll light those one by one, we'll stand and sing Silent Night, Holy Night. Father, thank you this evening for Christmas Eve, for the obedience of Mary saying yes to you, Yes to the call. Yes to having her life turned upside down. She would be questioned. She would be laughed at. She would be mocked. But she was willing to pay the price. There's a price that we pay for God's plan for our lives. And I pray for each person in this room tonight, Lord we'll be reminded of the opportunity that we can say yes to you and say it consistently, knowing that you give us the strength and the power to walk the path that you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen.